Hello, my name is Bobby George from the Bondek Montessori. In our third episode, we are joined by Miss Wood, and today we're going to have a conversation centered around language. Miss Wood, just very generally speaking, can you speak about how language is acquired in the Montessori environment? I know that's a very general <laughs> statement, but I was hoping you could just provide a broad context by which we can deep dive into some more uh, particular points. So typically when children enter the primary classroom, um, they're coming in at two and a half or three years old, and often they've been in a previous environment with um, limited exposure to other language materials, specifically humans. So they might have been coming from a one-on-one primary caregiver, if it's a nanny or a parent or a grandparent, um, or in um, a daycare setting where there might be five infants and one caregiver. And of course, everybody around them is going to be talking to them, but how much exposure are they going to have to other children talking to them um, and using language that can be contextualized and um, deduced. So in a a Montessori environment, we have a mixed age classroom, so two and a half to six years old in the primary level, and two adults who are specially trained to work with this age group. So we understand how the young child's brain develops and how their language skills develop. And until they're six, they have an unlimited capacity for language, and their brains are designed to acquire as much language as possible. And for the most part, they come to us with some speech skills, some language skills, but we notice that when they come into our classroom where there's 29 other young people talking to them and talking around them and describing their environment and doing acts like reading and writing um, and needing to interact with them from everything like, um, would you like to have snack with me to, uh, excuse me, please, um, they're learning to adapt to that very, very quickly, um, and their language just explodes. Um, We also overtly present language with vocabulary cards, um, and we try to describe everything around us, and we don't speak down to the children in terms of there's some trash on the floor. We use big words. Um, such as there is some debris that someone will need to tidy before we go outside and we use all of our vocabulary words and we use complex sentence structure because we know that children are capable of understanding it um, through those specialized context clues. Awesome. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about the process of contextualization and the deduction from the environment that you were referencing? Um, Which is to say, like, how does language itself happen and what makes it so uniquely developed in Montessori. And let me read a quick little Montessori quote because she describes the process as a mysterious urge. And here's the quote. It seems clear that there is a mysterious urge towards the self-activity involved in the acquisition of language by the child. What's this all about? So um, from the moment the child is born, they are bombarded with all of these uh, stimuli. 
And one of the biggest differences from going from the womb, which is like being underwater, into the outside environment is that everything is amplified. And they're hearing noises and sounds and nuances that were inaccessible to them before. And um, when they're developing usable language, they're using a concept which Maria Montessori calls the mathematical mind, which is the capacity for deductive logic. When a child says uh, duck to every bird they see, um, because they've applied the word duck to everything with wings and legs. Um, And then they have to figure out, okay, not this, not this, not this. Not every animal with four legs is a dog. Um, And not every human is a mom. So they have to create these categorizations um, for their language um, and the mathematical mind and deductive logic help to say, okay, that's not a duck. That is a parakeet or as a general statement, that's a bird or um, a group of birds is called a flock. Um, And so because their brain is designed to acquire language and to become a person of this time and place, um, they have this unique capacity to acquire as much language as possible and as many languages as possible. Um, so yet I think yet there's also something like particularly unique, and Montessori always stresses that um, it's at this window of time, which you pointed yep. out in the beginning. Yeah. And for example, if I were to, at my age, go to try to learn another language, it'd be much more difficult than a, a young child. And uh, so Montessori talks about two things in this relationship, which is that the child often conquers the environment. Like they acquire language by conquering the environment. And then sometimes she often oscillates by describing the acquisition of language in terms of absorption. And I think that's the one that we're most familiar with, this idea that, you know, we're just immersed into an environment in which we're born and we naturally come to acquire a language. And, she, you know, Montessori makes the point that anyone has the capacity to, to do that in the right environment. Uh, but I was hoping you could, maybe we could just uh, have a little thought experiment in which it means to conquer an environment, to acquire language by conquering the environment. What does that mean for you? Um, when a child is able to, uh, move and to wriggle, the next thing they want to do is crawl and then they want to pull themselves up and then they want to walk. And as soon as they can walk, they want to run and they want to climb stairs. And each of these are successive conquests. Each of these are, um, abilities that the child needs to master. And there's this fire in them that has to be, has to be met in order to do that. And with all of these people around them who are talking, um, they want to contribute. They want to be heard and they want to assert themselves and they want to be a person in this, in this family. Um, I think that, um, in our classroom, the way, um, the children, the way that this emerges um, is that sometimes you ask a child who is new to the classroom, what work do you want to do? And they say bead stringing because it's their favorite. And then they go get something else off the shelf. 
Um, and it's not because they were lying or because they forgot. It's just because they have figured out that's the answer to that question. <laughs> and so um, they have this same sort of, who did you sit with today? And they might say their favorite friend every day, or they might see the teacher every day. And that's not false. It's that until they have enough capacity for memory and enough capacity for differentiation, because they just want to contribute something, they're just coming up with an answer. And yeah. so sometimes we say, okay, you said you wanted to do bead stringing, and this is a puzzle. Do you want to do a puzzle or do you want to do bead stringing? And so that helps them to figure out, number one, that there's more than one answer to a question. And number two, that this every work in this classroom is not called bead stringing. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what's I mean, maybe we can uh, differentiate a little bit further too, which is that um, you use the word capacity, which is one I really love. But I mean, it's kind of clear that we all have the capacity to understand certain situations, but where we fall short is having the capacity to express those situations with our language. So we can understand, like within the context that you used before, of you know, like a child picking up debris. But while they might not know the vocabulary of de debris, they understand by the context. But yes, they have but yet they have a hard time expressing that. Can you talk about like that dynamic, the difference between our capacity to understand as opposed to our capacity to express? I think that the um the piece of having a difficulty to express is sometimes our own baggage surrounding language and support and surrounding challenges because often the child isn't having any difficulty they're using all the words that they can um, but they don't have the same fear if I ask a child to go get out the trinomial and they go get out the binomial or the decanomial they're not struggling with it they're doing the best they can. They're doing exactly what they understood me to say. Um, but if I, if I think, oh, they didn't understand me, or they would have done it if they, if they had understood, they already, they already completed the task. They already completed the challenge. Um, and for them, there wasn't the confusion. Um, and so we're applying our own struggle. We think of acquiring language as being a struggle, I think, partially because we're afraid to fail. Mm. And we're afraid of getting the pronunciation wrong or of using the wrong word in a sentence or of our grammar being incorrect. And so acquiring a new language as an adult requires a certain amount of fearlessness. But for children... It's just what they do. They're not afraid of getting the pronunciation wrong or of missing some syllables, um, partially because of their naivete. They don't, they don't know what is missing. And once they've acquired that next tense or different use of pronouns or when you use she and when you use her, they don't make that mistake anymore. So they also don't feel any regressive embarrassment about how they were when they were younger. Lovely, lovely. You're so eloquent with all these <laughs> answers. So now I'm going to try to throw you off balance okay. with a, a, a question, which is it's an example actually Montessori throws out there. But um, why don't children 
if, if it is through the environment in which they acquire language, if a child was in the environment that was only cows or pigs, why wouldn't they acquire those forms of communication? Well, let's call them a language. Why wouldn't they develop the language of a pig? I hypothesize that they would. Um, that um, children have a strong need to feel understood and to feel heard. Um, and um, there were studies on children who grew up in the wild that were then never able to acquire fluent um, speech with, uh, with other humans and, and fluent communication because they did grow up without hearing those sounds, um, which is, um, I think, why um, up to a certain age... Um, you can you can be fluent in as many languages as you're exposed to, but after that you can be bilingual, but you won't truly have it as uh, a fluent tongue because those sounds are learned instead of internalized. But I think that if if an experiment, an incredibly inhumane experiment, were done that a child were raised with apes or raised completely alone, they would acquire language because we do... Are you offering yourself up for experience? <laughs> Fortunately, I'm past that. <laughs> um, but um, they would um, they, they would still have that desire to be in relationship. And language is relationship-based. Mm. Great. Lovely. So um, last week we got in a really intense conversation after... I had read a passage from Merleau Ponte um, from his book Consciousness and Language Acquisition, in which I came upon this really peculiar phrase for myself, which was that Merleau Ponte was quoting Wundt, who says that, and I quote, the development of language is always a premature development. And I was instantly struck by this comment, especially like in our, you know, current landscape where if a child doesn't display certain characteristics, we perceive them as to have some kind of developmental delay. And the way I interpreted this was that if they have a delay, they're actually developing a greater immersion in the language because they have yet to find a way to categorize or or their capacity to understand is more being more fulfilled than their capacity to express. But I know a number of us around here had a different view and so I was hoping we could just uh, kind of hash some of that out. Uh, I really liked that conversation. We had a lot of different perspectives, which was always so much better than yes. only one perspective. <laughs> um, but I think that um, selfishly, um, since we're translating words, I, I think of premature in this context as immature. Um, because I think of immature as being finished. And um, once uh, a fruit has matured, the next step is to rot and de to decay. Um, but before that, it's not ready. And language is always developing and growing. It personally, it's always developing and growing because we read or we hear other opinions and we use words in different ways. Um, but we're always using the language um, before 
it's finished. We're using whatever language we have at the time, which as a baby is single syllables, and as a young child it's one or two word utterances, and then as we progress it's huge sentences, and we talk for paragraphs at a time. Um, but also as a culture, our language is never finished. We're adding words and sounds, um, I think particularly as we, we end up with more and more of a world culture where we're adopting phrases and concepts from other languages, um, but also we're inventing new words. We're inventing selfie and hala, and we're inventing these new words. So it's never personally and culturally, the, of course it's premature, because when will language ever be finished right because the environment's always changing yeah and, always and i'm always changing to, right and so i'm going to use words differently yes yes well maybe we'll we will uh leave our readers with a quote from montessori now which is a really wonderful thought experiment and really places us in a different context or mindset she says think of yourself being transported to a new and completely different country from your own Suppose, for example, you were left all of a sudden on the moon. The change would not be as great for you as the change which, which affects the child when it is born into this world. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to next time.